We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings on of Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, who has no idea what goes through that animal's head. And I'm Theo Bloom, who's never owned a cat, but has acquired two young rabbits recently. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who always bring us lovely dead mice to prove your devotion. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. Jacqueline isn't able to record this week. We will nonetheless hear from her later. Luckily, we were able to recruit Theo to be a last-minute fill-in. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Kerry Davies who got to introduce us to a new and somewhat polarising character. Coming up, we have called from... Witherspoon, who sees parallels between the bull and another fictional pub. And it's not that one. No, not that one either. Marie from Winchester, who is feeling very sympathetic towards Kenton. Christine from Kilcreggan, who's not too keen on Eve Chilcott. Dusty Substances, who's been catching up after a break of a few months and gives us her thoughts on recent developments. James, a first-time caller in her who's a bit suspicious of Harry. Glyn, who has concerns about Eve. Jacqueline, who's fed up with Kenton and also suspicious of Harry. And finally, Claire from Clapham, calling out the need for more accessible housing, not only in Ambridge. We also have an email from Chris from Indiana, who's currently in Florida. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group from Ben, and the Tweets of the Week from Theo. But before we start talking too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened over the last seven days with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Suey. Hello, lovely people. It's Suey here, Queen Hotel on the Twitters. And it's time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. Oh, thank you, lovely Kerry Davis, for a week joyous episodes. Adam lauded it over Susan and Clary Love while they played tricks on him. He pranked them with the prospects of a council inspection, but it was not true. While they were faffing about, Hilda Ogden got into the dairy, Adam's fault, and this led to much pandemonium and Tony saying he had had enough and she was definitely going to have to go. But after she caught some mice and he didn't like Eddie's friend, the Interceptor, it sounds like they might be keeping her as a barn cat. I'm sure Peggy will be delighted. Alice met Harry's mother, who was all smiles and shrill girliness, until she was told about Alice's behaviour in the past. She pulled out of a ghastly-sounding shopping trip. Harry, posh boy, tried to keep everyone happy, and I lost the will to care. Harry was vile to Chris earlier in the week, being terribly superior and saying how nice it was to meet Martha's grandparents. I'm not a violent person, but I think I'd have probably punched him. Harrison failed to switch on his policeman's spidey senses when his mother-in-law, Jolene, lied about being harassed by the West Midlands Peaky Blinder mob. Deary me, that's not going to end well. K 
Kenton discharged himself from hospital, and since he couldn't get upstairs from the bull, he moved into Lindy Bottom's magical downstairs disabled access room. Where did that come from? This is the first we've heard of it, and the Ambridge bedroom fairy has come to the rescue again. He turned up to the pub on Friday, couldn't sit still. Adam was buying Pat and Tony drinkies, and then Kenton dropped a whole bottle of whiskey, which probably wiped out their profits for the evening. So, nothing much happened, to be honest, but oh, I did enjoy this week. Until next week, then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. Thank you for that, Suey. That was another fantastic roundup of the week in Ambridge. So, Theo, how was your week? Well, I spent much of this week recovering from my daughter's 18th birthday party, which was last weekend, and involved moving things around the house and being up into the small hours of Sunday mornings. Yeah, it's been nice to have a peaceful week, although it was rather wet. You get very wet in the, the bit of the inclement weather in the south that was rain, although I think in the north of England it was more snowy and beautiful. How about you, Stephen? What have you been up to? I've been recovering. Of, uh, for the last couple of weeks, I feel I've been suffering from an ongoing cold or at least congestion from it. So I have been doing my best to get on top of that. I tried out a new chocolate chip cookie recipe, which involved all kinds of complicated things like browning the butter before mixing it in with the sugar and making a paste out of milk and flour before adding that into the mixture and leaving the whole thing for 72 hours to mature. And at the end of the day, to be honest, the cookies were okay, but they weren't brilliantly different or anything that justified doing that. So I'd probably just go back to normal boring chocolate chip cookies next weekend. But today's baking is baguettes. My new oven has got a steam generating capability and uh, also I've got a proving drawer in my new kitchen. So I thought I would put them both to the test and make a bunch of baguettes. So that'll be what I'll be doing later once I've sorted out the edit on this podcast. And do you have to buy special flour for baguettes? It's a mixture. The recipe calls for a mixture of strong bread flour and regular plain flour, both of which come from my local supermarket. Well, I'm sure Jacqueline will look forward to hearing how your baguettes go next weekend. Well, that's enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you, our lovely caller innerers. And that begins with one of these. Hello, tiger. Mm. And first up, we have Witherspoon calling in at the beginning of the week for a change. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Caller entering very early in the week on a Monday. I greatly enjoyed yesterday's podcast, and I wanted to respond to a couple of things. First, following Nick's thoughts about Kenton becoming a creature of the night. As Stephen noted, I too thought werewolf. I was reminded not of the Twilight series, which I didn't much care for, or being human, the television show I loved, but of the great 1981 British film, An American Werewolf in London, starring David Naughton, also known for his Dr. Pepper commercials, and Jenny Agutter, of course familiar to us as Sister Julianne. The bite in the film occurs at night in the countryside, as it does, of course, in our favorite docudrama, and the village pub plays a central role in the lead-up in both. In the film, the name of the pub is The Slaughtered Lamb, so both pubs are named after an animal. If you haven't seen the film, do check it out. The other item I wanted to respond to is Glennis's prediction that Jolene and Kenton would retire and Emma and Ed would take over the bull. The two I would like to see take over would be Emma and Tracy. This aunt and niece combo have a great chemistry together. But wherever would they get the money to buy out Jolene and Kenton's share of the pub? I'll leave that to Stephen to figure out. Back to Kenton. We learned he's not 70, as Stephen thought, but is 65, which is my age. Plenty of life left in that body, unless he keeps making stupid decisions, such as signing out from the hospital against medical advice. Wasn't Kenton on IV antibiotics as well? We learned that upstairs at the Bull is not accessible for people with disabilities, at least not the living quarters. Kenton struggling to get up the stairs, but first reminded me of me doing the same for the two flights to my office after I broke my leg in 2018. But I had two weeks to recover first. Talk to you soon. 
Well, that was great fun from Witherspoon. I, I do remember American Werewolf in London, but I think I probably haven't seen it for the best part of 40 years. So maybe I'll have to watch it again and see how well it stands up to time. I, I hope Kenton's not going to become a werewolf. I can tolerate The Archers becoming a crime drama for a while, but I think if it went full-on supernatural, it would have jumped the shark, as people say. Yeah. What it, do you think about who'll take over the bull, Stephen? I can't really see beyond Fallon being the obvious person because whoever takes over the bull to begin with, I suspect that Kenton and Jolene will continue to own their share of it and somebody will run it. And so Fallon seems to be an obvious person to do that, being Jolene's daughter, having brought, been brought up at the pub and, and so forth. So th that would be my first thought, but it will depend on whether Harrison is happy to do that when he retires as a, as a policeman. Going back to the American Werewolf in London, Witherspoon mentioned Jenny Agatha, who he remembers or knows from Call the Midwife. I don't watch that. I remember her from the Railway Children and the, the famous scene at the end where the, the smoke and steam clears from the, the platform and there is her father standing there and she calls out, Daddy, oh my daddy. Brings a lump to my throat every time I hear it still. Yes, she's had quite, quite the long career, hasn't she? Yes, all the way from that, her uh, taking her clothes off phase during things like Walkabout and indeed, I think, uh, American Werewolf in London, through to now being more of a grand dam and close to Sir Helen Mirren style national treasure status, but not quite. Shall we move on to our next call? And this one comes from Marie. Hi, Lady Jacqueline and Stephen and all Dumpty Dummers. It's Marie from Winchester. I haven't called in for ages, couldn't get a speak pipe to work. And I just keep missing the Friday deadline. But I listened last night and about Kenton actually trying to go up the stairs. And oh my goodness, it was like parallel to what happened to me back in September and I broke my knee. And I'd sort of just about managed to use the, the crutches. When I got home, there was no way on earth I could get up the stairs. Absolutely too painful. So I had to sleep on the sofa for two weeks and use the bathroom downstairs. And eventually I started watching YouTube videos of how the hell to get upstairs on crutches and like, no way. It was just impossible. So in the end, I got really, really good at going up and down on my bum. And when I got to the top of the stairs, I do this sort of flip and turn round to face the other way so that I could actually pull myself up to standing. And my husband said it was rather like a maggot, so he called me maggot, and it was really funny. But yeah, I really sympathise with Kenton, nightmare using crutches. I'm all better now, fully back to strength, and really enjoying the show, enjoying Dum -de Dum, enjoying the archers, and enjoying life. And hope you're all well. Lots of love. Speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you for that call, Marie, and it's good to hear from you after quite a long absence from calling in. So I hope you get back into the habit of calling in and giving us your thoughts. Yes, I think Kenton is just not being a very good patient at the moment. It's bad enough that he can't get upstairs. But he's not staying out of the way and generally keeping out of Jolene's hair. Turning up the pub, dropping the, the whiskey and so forth, it really is, well, it's what you'd expect from Kenton, but it's not great, is it? I feel more sympathy for Kenton. I think when people are ill, they're very selfish. And particularly if he's been bedridden for a while, he's just obsessed with what's going on with him and, and wanting to be together. And I must say from last week, I was quite upset when David insisted on taking Jolene home from the hospital while Kenton was very traumatised. He was right to, that Jolene was exhausted, but could not one of the extended family have come and sat by Kenton's bed while he didn't want to be alone in hospital? seemed to me they, they could have managed that. Yes, it, it was all who visited him there, of course, because we had Vince come by, but not Elizabeth, which seemed a bit odd. And we don't know how long Shula stayed for. She, yes. she, she turned up, said a few words, and then we don't know how long she stayed for, whether she's still around. But again, why didn't she do more of, of that, allowing David to take Jolene home, but giving Kenton somebody? Shula would have been the obvious person to do that. The other thing that strikes me about Kenton and not being able to get up the stairs, which Marie clearly sympathised with, was that we tend not to have people in Ambridge with permanent or long-term disability. And even 
the old folk are always incredibly spry and able to get around. It's only the temporary, like Linda's accident and now Kenton's. So it'll be interesting to see whether he's left with any lasting trouble from this injury. We had Jim in a wheelchair for quite a long time when he first arrived. That was one of the reasons he turned up, I think, was because he couldn't look after himself because he, was he broken leg? But he said he, he was in a wheelchair to begin with. I, and I had it, completely forgotten that. Oh, yes. Everybody forgets that when Jim turned up, he was a deeply unpleasant man in a wheelchair, making life miserable for Shula and Alistair. He's since become a sort of lovable village treasure. Um, I remember that he was awful, but not the wheelchair. And I also thought some of the awfulness was about Shula, and, and I sort of forgave him that. The other person who's in a wheelchair is Horobin. And he, I think, we decided was able to get up to the Bull Upstairs because he was in the fashion show, which I'm sure was taking place in the, the Bull Upstairs. And he was uh, wheeling himself around there. So th there must be some way of getting up there. Yes, maybe he's moderately mobile, but uses a wheelchair for longer distances. We just don't know. No. Shall we move on to our next call then? And this one comes from Christine in Kilcreggan. Good afternoon to Stephen, Jacqueline and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. Christine from Kilcreggan here. Only the other evening, I was chatting with my husband and saying, do you remember that awful woman in Primeval? Then the actor, Juliette Aubrey, turns up in The Archers playing an equally awful character. When she gave the invitation to Alice to go shopping, I honestly thought she was going to give the stay away from my son speech. What she has done is so much worse. While I do find Harry creepy, he is old enough to choose his own partner and make his own mistakes. Interfering mothers really annoy me. Let your adult children live their own lives and be there when they need you. Well, Christine, I haven't yet had the pleasure of meeting any partner of my child's, although we've you know, had friends and whether they're suitable or not. And I also haven't seen the show that the actress who plays Eve is in, but I agree she's very out of order. What do you think, Stephen? She is awful, I think. Primeval was a, a great show. My son was just the age of being into dinosaurs and things like that. It was a, a drama series about some sort of gateway starting to open up and prehistoric creatures coming through and attacking people and generally causing trouble. And I think we found out in due course that they, they were a result of experiments run by an evil organization of which Juliet Aubrey, I think, was a representative. It's been quite a, a long time since I watched that. It was during the, must be during the 90s, I suppose, or early 2000s. But as I said, my son was into primeval. Eve is, I think, very shallow. I wasn't that impressed by the way that she was so effusive about Alice and, oh, you're lo lovely and let's go shopping and buy a dress and so forth. And then suddenly switches over on the say-so of one person telling tittle-tattle to, oh, keep away from me and telling Harry that he should not go near her ever again and, and get rid of her as quickly as possible. Not that I'm 100% satisfied with Harry, but we'll get on to that, I think, with a later call. And you've never had to be the, the advisory parent about bad relationships, have you? No, I've never tried to do that. I think that it's much better if people learn for themselves. If, if Giles were to have a, a relationship with somebody that I thought was deeply unsuitable, I think me saying so would not have any positive effect. It might even reinforce things, or it would have done, I think, when he was younger. But I'm happy for him to work his way through that. And if it does all crash and burn, the only thing you can really do as a parent is be supportive at the end of that process and dust them down and get them to start again. But Giles is in his mid to late 20s now, so I think he's getting beyond the point where his parents have got an influence on him. And that's another point about Eve. What is she doing with Harry's romantic life when he is, I guess he's in his, what, early late 30s, early 40s? He certainly seems old enough to be in charge of his own romantic affairs. So let's not worry too much about him. Shall we then move on to our next call? And this is from somebody we haven't heard from for a very long time. Hello, it's Dusty Substances here, the wrong sort of listener, who you probably thought had dropped off the planet. Lovely to be back to talk to everyone. Hello. I managed to listen to The Archers for about four months until about last weekend. There was all sorts of stuff going on domestically and with different things. 
So I decided to try to catch up last week and the synopses and listen again on the BBC Sounds was quite limited and I didn't really fancy listening to umpteen episodes. So I caught up with the synopses as far back as I could. And the people on the Facebook page were really, really helpful because I picked up that Rob had died, but not very much more than that. And I asked a few questions and everyone was wonderful. Stephen suggested that once I listened for a bit, I sent a message. So here we are. Harry, creepy as heck. His mother, creepier when she was nice to Alice than when she wasn't. Dog attack on Kenton. I mean, a bit of a flimsy pretext, but really horrible to listen to. And I wish that would finish off a little bit now. Jokes in the dairy. Uh, Not my thing, really. But if everyone else is loving it, brilliant. Hilda, just keep upsetting the entire family. Loving your work, love. We don't seem to know anything about Robert Snell yet. Really not very happy about the prospect of that at some point, but Hey-ho, it must be time for the summer fate and the single wicket soon, so it's possibly not all bad. Anyway, lovely to be back. Loved you all and speak soon. Bye. Thank you for calling, Dusty. That was a wonderful call. And I'm glad that you are catching up at last with the archers and will soon be fully in the swing. And I hope you, you keep calling us regularly with progress. Harry, creepy. Yeah, I'm... I've been giving Harry the benefit of the doubt for a while, but he's now got two strikes against him. Firstly, whatever this mystery illness is, he has not shared it with Alice, which given how much she has shared about herself with him, I think that's a bit unfair. And then I was not happy with the fact that he was not honest about his mother's concerns until effectively Alice called him out on it, forced him to come out because he would otherwise have had to have lied to her face when she asked whether it was about she had discovered that she was an alcoholic. He was finally forced to admit that. So I do worry about him. I think a lot depends on what the illness is and how he manages that eventually. And I can understand it might be quite difficult to admit to something like a serious illness and talk it through because they haven't been seeing each other for that long. But we do know that it's a fairly serious relationship. They did seem to be in bed with each other one of the scenes, I think. It's a serious relationship. Are we we right to give Harry the benefit of the doubt at the moment, or should we be running a mile from him? What do you think, Theo? It's funny. I was one of those people who who didn't like Rob from very early on when he arrived. I felt that there were signs of bullying and unpleasantness from him from the word go, and I couldn't understand why other people didn't see him as unpleasant, which took a little while to develop. With Harry, I'm still on the fence. There's clearly some backstory. And I, like you, I don't like the fact that he isn't honest with Alice when she's been so honest with him. She's given him every opportunity to open up. And it doesn't seem a great basis for a relationship. But I think we were shown with the doctor that he's probably in denial himself rather than actively lying to her. He's, he doesn't want these things to be true. So he, tries to ignore them. But that doesn't excuse what he did about his mother and so on. I didn't find it entirely credible how distressed Alice was by that, because I think she'd been very scared about telling Harry and very worried about what new people will think when they know she's an alcoholic. And yet, somehow that didn't occur to her about his mother. It just, I don't know, it didn't play quite true with me this week. But as to Harry, I don't know. I'm still waiting, waiting to find out more. Yeah, I think with Alice, it's a matter of control in that she can decide when to tell people and, and she can manage that. And yes, it's, it stresses to her out worrying about how Harry would react. But at the end of the day, she knew that she had to do that. Whereas with Eve, it was somebody else. And obviously, the version that Eve heard was a fairly negative version including the story from a long time ago about getting drunk. Was that at the christening? I think it was Nick's funeral. It was Nick's funeral. Yes, it was. It was that one. So I think that she's, there's a a big difference, I think, between when when you're in control and and the fact that she realizes she's got quite a long legacy of bad behavior behind her that is always going to come 
back and bite or there's always a risk that's going to come back and bite her. So it may have been that rather than the, the simple fact of it. It's the way it happened and, and the fact that she didn't have control over it, which made it so much worse. And so I, I didn't feel that her reaction was out of order. I thought that she has to, I think, live with the fact that's always been the case because it was just went on for so long. Yes, I suppose you're right that there's something about the difference between being outed and coming out, as they say. Yes, exactly. And I suppose that's a good parallel to draw, whether it's about your sexuality or about your past. And obviously, in the case of alcoholics, the past always has the the risk of, of coming back under the worst circumstances. And so you're always going to be concerned about how you manage that. Another call. This one is from a first-time caller in Hi there, Jacqueline and Stephen. It's James here. I'm a first-time caller in Aurora. I've been listening to The Archers for about two years now. I'm calling in after Thursday's episode, as I tend to listen to the week so far on a Friday. And I'd like to talk about Alice, Harry, and Harry's mum, Eve. I think that Eve was being very unfair to Alice. She's been sober for about two years now. I think it also shows her lack of subtlety and parenting skills. Demanding that Harry stop seeing her is never going to work and it's obviously just going to drive him into her arms even more, even if that was possible. He seems absolutely smitten with her. And if Harry and Alice are in it for the long haul, it's going to be very awkward at family gatherings. At the end of the day, as long as Alice and Harry love each other, they're happy and they're good for each other, then she shouldn't really have a problem. Now on to Harry himself. I'm still getting a bad vibe from him. Alice has been very honest about her alcoholism problems, so I would have expected Harry to be honest about his medical problem that we still don't know much about. And on that, I heard a quite a subtle cough from Harry this week, so I don't know if that's something or a hint to what problem he actually has. I do like this Alice and Harry storyline. It's very good listening, but I hope that one day Alice and Chris get back together. Thanks, bye. Well, James, how lovely to hear from you. Please do call in again. I've been particularly enjoying hearing from people like Dusty, who we haven't heard from for ages, but who I think used to call in when I first listened to Dumpty Dum, and Marie, and now James, who's a newbie. And James is one of the posse hoping for Alice and Chris to get back together. There's certainly a lot of that on Twitter and Blue Sky. I don't know if that's always the case with people who break up, that people want them to get back together, or whether this was a particularly beloved romance but personally I feel like that one ran its course but also I'm impressed by James's detection of a subtle cough I I didn't listen as carefully as I might have done had I known I was going to be hosting this week and I certainly missed that but whether there's something there we will find out I missed the cough as well and I think I mentioned last week that other Dumpty Dummers are really good at picking up on the slightest thing and putting two and two together and either making a real four or sometimes make the seven or eight out of it. But I think that anything that's a clue as to, to what Harry might be suffering from is useful to pick up. So it's certainly legitimate to question a cough like. I'm not one of the Chris and Alice should get together camp. I'm not one for just going back into the past, I'm afraid. Constantly, it's like having call, all the calls to have Rob return to the program, which I didn't like, or bring back Hazel, if any, any villain is happening, if any villainy is happening off stage, as it were, people immediately say, oh, is it Hazel? Is it Hazel doing this or that or the other, buying the land and, and so forth? You know, I don't want to keep going back to the same old tired characters, most of whom have, as you say, run the, either relationships or run their course or the, the characters have done their pantomime villains thing and it's time to move on. I'm looking for change and evolution, of which Harry is a, a good representation, a, a new character coming in and looking like he's going to stick around for a while, bringing with him quite a bit of new baggage, both in terms of his illness and his awful mother. So I, I think that's a, a positive development. I'd much rather have, not every week, a new character, but new characters coming in and, and old ones, particularly the ones that don't live in the village, Let's move on and not worry about them. Let's not bring back Matt when there are plenty of other people could come in with more interesting and less already processed stories. 
So you're not among the crew calling for Mike Tucker to drop in occasionally, as Shula has shown it's possible to do. There was When Eddie mentioned working with Mike, there were a bunch of people saying, why can't we have Mike sometimes? I would, I would like Brenda to come back. I think that she left with plenty of stories still to come there. So I'm not saying nobody to come back, but I think that there, that there are characters that left before their time, perhaps. I think Brenda is in that. I think several of the Tuckers are in that category. Obviously, the whole Mike and Vicky and Bethany storyline, which was summarily dropped just before the start of the whole Rob and Helen thing, because the new editor didn't want to deal with the complications of that, which I thought was a, a very bad decision. I think that that would have been a, a fascinating and relevant story. Not that I am one for the archers being all about being teachable moments and so forth. I, I wouldn't want it to be constantly about issues. But I think that that sort of thing, having a child with Down syndrome in the village, not as a story, but simply as a constant bit of fact in the background. And occasionally there will be times when that might come to the fore, but it wouldn't be a big story all about it. It wouldn't be treated as something educational and so on, because the Arches is not educational, it's entertainment. And I think that that should always be the focus. So those are our first few calls, and there are several more to come, which we will hear very soon. If you'd like to join in by calling us yourself or dropping us a line by message or email, because we've got one of those later on as well, Theo is here to tell you how, and the details are also in the show notes. Your first option is to record a message or plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dumtydum, and don't forget that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp, and the number from the UK is 07810-012881, and if you're calling from outside the UK, you need plus four four and drop the first zero. Please keep all calls to a maximum of two minutes. And finally, we have an email address that you can contact us on if you'd rather write to us with your views. A maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumtdum at mail.com. And do bear in mind, you need to be at least 18 to contribute. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey, popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart, Brian. Now let's get back to our calls. Next up is a very familiar and regular caller, and it's Glyn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here, calling in on a rather wet Friday afternoon. The story in the Archers this week that's caught my attention is that of Harry and Alice and Harry's mother, Eve. And I'm intrigued to see where this is going. Eve didn't behave too well towards Alice this week of itself. That might be understandable. I think as a parent, you might well have concerns if one of your children said that they had started a relationship with a recovering alcoholic. So that's almost forgivable. But then the context, I think, is important. And it appears that perhaps Eve has interfered before in Harry's love life. He seemed to allude to that. And the mother-son relationship seems quite complex, and I think we, we need to find out more about that. So I think there's more to Eve's reaction to Alice than just normal concern. That so, I'm not really not sure where this storyline is going. I think almost the storyline with the bull and the dogs and Kenton being attacked, that's almost more straightforward in a sense, and it, it seems to be following a fairly standard soap trope line, but we shall see. Anyway, best wishes to all in Dumpty Dumland. Thank you to the hosts of the podcast and speak soon. Thank you for that call, Glyn. 
And you do remind me that we have not actually had any proper further development of the dog attack at the bull storyline. We've had Kenton being a bad patient and coming back and so forth. But in terms of quite what this mysterious black country guy was up to, what it is that Jolene is afraid of, yes, she says it's a figure from the past and so forth, but I don't think she's told us the, the whole truth. So we have that whole storyline just sitting there, I guess, waiting for its turn along with all the other ones. I think that we need to take that one forward sooner rather than later. Otherwise, it'll all get a bit weird. Yes, it definitely. We didn't have any police procedural this week, did we? Glynn is among many to dislike Eve. Someone on Twitter suggested that she should get together with Bruce Titchener and they could be controlling parents together. But Glynn reminded me that I actually had a plot prediction about Harry and I don't think anyone else had this one. So I'll throw it out there to be wrong in due course. I wondered whether, because he's talked about having hit a very low point and his marriage breaking up. I wondered whether he had in fact taken an overdose and the thing that the doctor spotted is that his liver function or some other routine blood test result shows that it's had some lasting effect on him, which won't actually be a long-term health condition so much as just a route into the fact that it was a mental health crisis that he had rather than an infectious disease, as some have speculated, or some other terminal illness coming forward now. I guess it's possible he might have taken opiates and become addicted to opiate painkillers during his recovery from the hip injury. And so it might be something similar to that. But I guess that would not show up in blood so much as behaviour. Yes, and I sort of thought that if it was addiction, he really would have told Alice because that she is an addict and maybe still goes to AA meetings and has a sponsor, all of that. So yes, we, we shall see. That, that's true. The person that we haven't heard anything about is Harry's father. I guess from everything we've heard, he's no longer on the scene. He might have died. I can't remember if anybody's mentioned anything about his father, but I, I don't think so. I, I would just assume that because it's all the mother and no mention at all that the father died either recently or some years ago or disappeared in less savoury circumstances. Yes, or maybe, yes, is living in Spain with a young floozy, something like that. And not talked about. Exactly. Yes. This next call is from actually somebody who has not called in for a very long time for good reasons, but is a very familiar voice nonetheless. Hello, Steve and Theo and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Jacqueline here. I'm really so sorry not to be with you this week. And having carefully packed laptop, headphones, mic and insulation into the car, to make my long and weary, wet journey to Immingham. Just setting up my system, I've just realised I've left the power cable for my computer at home. So there you are, best laid plans. Now this week in the Archers, I was disappointed by Kenton. I thought he was very selfish to return home where Jolene was already struggling, being one man down at the pub without anyone but us knowing about the mysterious Brummie. So I didn't appreciate that for her. And also, he obviously couldn't climb up the stairs. Having had a knee up myself, I know that I slept downstairs on the sofa for at least 10 days till I couldn't bear the pain of going upstairs. But that's by the by. I feel a bit discombobulated by the behaviour of Harry and more particularly his mother. I feel extremely uncomfortable about this story, but I can't put my finger on why. I'm sure lots of you will be able to tell me why. I hope to be back to normal next week, and I'm sure you'll enjoy Theo's input, who has very brilliantly stepped into the void created by my lack of cable. See you next week. Have a good week, all. Well, it's lovely to hear from you, Jacqueline, and as you say, the best laid plans, but I'm glad I was able to step in. I think we've talked about Harry and Eve quite a lot. I think there is some sense that there must be a missing piece of the plot that we don't know yet. That does make it very hard to understand. Yes, de definitely. And the whole business of Harry being creepy, I think, is in part due to us just not knowing what's there. And as you say, being convinced that there is something that we don't know yet and it's just not coming out. We hope it will come soon. I think, yeah. I think it must come quite soon. Hopefully it's not like the gills and the, the purchasers of Grey Gables 
something that's endlessly alluded to but never appears. Yes, that that's true. I, I don't think it can survive that sort of treatment in in that way because Harry is there front and centre being apparently creepy. So at some point, somebody is going to say something. Lillian loves him, but I'm not sure what other people in the village think. Chris is obviously deeply suspicious of him. And as various people have alluded to, his treatment of Chris has been pretty rubbish, whether intentional or not. And so I, th I think that at some point, Chris might be tempted to lamp him and that might then reveal quite what's going on. Maybe he'll hit him in a sort of Lee hitting Rob way and that will reveal the nature of the underlying illness. That might be a bit too repetitive. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Shall we move on to our final call for this week? And this one is from another regular caller who we're always delighted to hear from because she has such expertise in areas including housing. And that's what she's calling about. It's Claire from Clapham. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. I thought I'd just quickly follow up from last week's call in which I suggested that for plot purposes, it would be interesting if Kenton maybe lost a leg uh, and what that might mean for the accessibility of the flats above the uh, pub. Well, this week, he uh, discharged himself from hospital stupidly. And of course, he couldn't get up the stairs. What an idiot. Why wouldn't he think about this? I'm surprised he managed to get in and out of a car, quite frankly. But anyway, yes, and how amazingly magical that uh, it happened to be that there was an adapted room at Linda's. That's convenient, isn't it? Never mentioned it before. But anyway, hurrah. I was very pleased because I come from a kind of housing background and I care about these things to hear some mention of adapted and appropriate living accommodation because thousands and thousands of people in this country are disabled by the places where they live and could cope perfectly much better if only their homes were built and adapted more appropriately. So just shout out for the work that people like Habinteg uh, are doing in this area. You know, it's criminal that the government hasn't updated building regulations sufficiently to make this sort of standard thing properly in new builds. And yeah, I think uh, there's a lot to learn from this experience, not least don't leave hospital if you're not ready. But there you go. Kenton's only got themselves to blame. But hurrah for Linda and Robert for coming to his rescue. Aren't they just some of the best people in the village at times? Anyway, keep up the good work. Speak to you soon. Thank you for that call, Claire. I'm not quite as surprised as I think you are about the fact that there's an accessible room at Ambridge Hall, because the origins of it were when Linda came back from hospital after the burns, and wasn't herself able to get upstairs and needed to stay downstairs. And so they adapted towards that. And it seems very much in character for Lindy and Robert to have taken Linda's experience and thought, if I need an, a downstairs room with accommodations for my recovery, then we might well have guests who would appreciate that as well. And having found out we can do it, having got a suitable room that they can do it, then why not a bit further and turn it from being Linda's convalescence room into a feature of Ambridge Hall, something that will allow them to expand the range of people they can put up as guests. So I, I think that, that it's a logical progression from Linda's own experiences and very much in keeping with those two. And yes, I, I do find Linda and Robert, they're still incomers as far as I'm concerned, but they are positive additions to the village. And we're still, of course, all of us wondering what's going to happen about Robert because of Red Blockley's death. Now, a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, unlike you, I wasn't as surprised by the wand-waving of the Ambridge Housing Fairy on this occasion to come up with an accessible room at, at Ambridge Hall. But I was quite touched by the scene between Linda and Kenton and recognising that she's the person who's been through the nearest thing to his experience because it was a, a sudden traumatic event. It probably did involve more than one surgery and the plastic surgeons and, and things like that. In her case, more visibly disfiguring than Kenton's, but I thought it was a good shout to have those two interacting. Yes, and I think that Kenton went into there convinced that Linda was a nightmare, and then he's discovered that actually she's a fantastic hostess, and that's why Ambridge Hall is such a success as a B&B &B and, and why Brookfield had so much to learn from them in their brief 
foray into that line of business. Yes, and and as I tend to banging on because we have elderly folk in our extended family who need looking after, I'm always amazed that Jill can continue to live in a farmhouse with stairs and not need a downstairs room. Peggy voluntarily moved into the laurels, but some of these older people do continue to live in unadapted accommodation much longer than the, the people I know have managed. It's possible, I guess, in due course, Jill will decide that she can't do the stairs anymore. The purpose of the bungalow was for Phil and Jill to retire into. So maybe it will become obvious that there's no point in Pip and Stella living or occupying two separate places and they could move in together and free up the bungalow, though I guess Hannah would then at risk of being displaced yet again. And Rickyard is probably not suitable. We know from the the Pip and Toby experience that there's not a huge amount of room. And I don't think Pip can quite evict David and Ruth from Brookfield quite yet. I think they've still got a few more years in before they retire. And the other place, of course, that uh, Jill ought to be retiring to is Glebe Cottage, but she's still got Carol Tregoran installed in there, I think. Yes, another of the older people who lives independently, as far as we know. Yes, we don't really know much about the internal geography of Glebe Cottage, but I'm assuming it's got two floors rather than being one floor. We wait to learn more when next the Ambridge Housing Fairy strikes. So those are the calls. Thank you so much for calling in. We do love to hear from you all. Do call next week, whether you call this week or not. Uh, the more calls you get, the the better the, the podcast, uh, because the less whispering and rambling you get from me and Theo this week or Jacqueline other weeks. Now, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week? Yeah, we had an email from Chris G entitled Holy Harry Chilcots. He says, Stephen, Jacqueline and all friends in Dumpty Dum land. This week, I'm as far from Ambridge as one can psychologically get, visiting friends in sunny, alligator-filled Florida. Can we believe Harry Chilcott's nosy and interfering mother? Of course we can. Interfering parents are the lifeblood of the archers. Like several others, I believe Mrs Chilcott's odd response to Alice on Thursday night might have been a sign of sickness, but we were all disappointed to find out that Harry's mother was just being a twit. Meanwhile at the dairy, Susan and Adam continue to trick each other in ways that aren't even remotely clever, and Clary comes along for the ride. Chris Carter helps a smarmy Adam deceive his own mother. Why? And I continue to like him less and less. I mean, this is a man who is always crying on his mum's shoulder, and his relationship to Adam is what? In other news, Kenton makes an ass of himself before being bundled off to Linda Snell's, and eternally whining Tony decides to rehome Hilda. I wish someone would rehome him. From Chris G in Florida. Thank you for that message, Chris. Always strong opinions coming from you. I think that you're probably a little harsh on Tony, who has, after all, come good at the end of the week and realised that after Hilda brought him a couple of mice to say sorry for her behaviour, he's realised that she does have value around Bridge Farm. So it may be that we're not looking for a rehoming again after all. We had no calls about shenanigans at the dairy this week. The Valentine's ice cream and then the mystery inspection and so forth. I thought it was quite fun. I I can see that some people might think it was a bit much. But uh, it echoes previous interactions between Susan and Clary on the one hand and Adam on the other. Though that brief spell when Susan went round to Honeysuckle Cottage to talk about gossip and and she and Ian and Adam got heavily into gossip. That seems to have evaporated that whole relationship. And they're just back on the the normal, what's Adam doing, interfering in the dairy type of thing. I think there was a bit of inconsistency there, but it's an ongoing sort of situation for comedy, as it were. Yeah. Was that relationship of Susan and the gossip more with Ian than with Adam, I wonder? And and Adam remains a sort of one of the Archer clan and able to come in and be the boss. I I don't usually like all the practical jokes on each other, but I did think the the sudden inspection, I was completely taken in and thought, oh golly, they're going to have to do that while Helen's away. Valentine's ice cream seemed like the ridiculous ingredients. Even Adam should have been able to see through that. But There was a moment the previous day when Adam 
spoke to, I think it, it must've been Chris to say, can you call me at 10 o'clock? And so I knew that when that call came through, that was the, going to be a, a setup. So we, it was flagged in advance. And of course, Adam and Chris, I think, are friends from the cricket, aren't they? They're stalwarts of the cricket team. But as Dusty points out, we haven't heard much about the cricket for a while. So maybe we'll hear more. There was, I think, just the one 2020 match last summer. The previous summer, we had the whole veterans team storyline. But yeah, I, th I think they should just get back to the proper single wicket competition. But then that makes me miss Haley, who I think won it one year, Italy. Then Shula can come back and give the cup again. Yes, whatever it was called, the Hebt Mark Hebden Memorial Trophy. Before we move on to talk about our Facebook page, let's talk about academic archers and the conference planned for the weekend of the 27th and 28th of April at the Quakers Meeting House, Euston Road, London. The box office is now open and the links to that can be found in the show notes. We've been looking through the summaries of the papers that will be presented at the conference, and this week I've picked out one that particularly appeals to me, uh, and you can, you'll see why if you remember my previous contributions to Dumpty Dum in the form of the music. Sally Cadle is going to talk about our favourite tune in a paper called From Obscurity to Alternative National Anthem, The Story of Barrett Green. A hundred years after Barrett Green was first performed at the Royal Hall, Harrogate, by the Court Symphony Orchestra, this talk is going to examine the life and work of its comparatively unknown composer, Arthur Wood. From a variety of reference sources, including those written by former members of the Archer's production team and cast members, Sally will explain how and why this almost unknown piece of music was chosen to accompany an everyday story of country folk. The presentation will go on to identify other uses of this same music in film, television, literature and associated media, which have, over the last 70 years or so, contributed to the iconic status that it holds today. Exploring various arrangements that have been used on the show, plus others that have not, Sally hopes to shed new light on a tune which has achieved worldwide recognition. So I'm really looking forward to that one, which I think is almost the last talk on the Sunday of the conference. Do you think we'll get some good music played? I think we'll get the versions that have been used on the programme, obviously. The old Sunday uh, version played by the Yetis, and then the new Sunday version, which was originally brought in for Ambridge Extra, played by Bellowhead, along with the standard one. I, can't, I don't know which orchestra plays the, the standard one. It's not, I think, commercially available. There is a at least one commercially available version of it. We might get brass band arrangements. We might get uh, old Dumpty Dums from this podcast. I yes, suspect you, not. You, you could offer her some additional soundscape. Let's move on to Facebook, where we have lots of very active, friendly and erudite members, and we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them, who are Ruth Adewale, Sandra Jeekins, Richard Laser, Elizabeth Lawrence Kelly, Rachel Watt, Edmund Zebrowski, Millie Moo, Kirsty Wilson, and Susan Andrews. But before we hear what our Facebook group's been talking about this week, we are once again looking for a volunteer or two to take on rounding up the Facebook news for the show one week a month now that the remaining much nicer Rob has decided to step away from the mic. But for this week, we have the roundup from Ben in Shanghai. <laughs> Hao, Stephen, Jacqueline and everyone in Dumpty Dum Land. It's Ben from Shanghai, although today I'm actually recording this in Tokyo Disneyland. And let's catch up on what's been going on on Facebook this week. And there has been lots of speculation about new characters and their motives. Peter Banford suspects it's Mummy's allowance that's keeping Harry interested in Alice, while others such as Rita are encouraging her to run, pointing out that while she was an awful drunk, She's pulled herself together and really does not need that witch as a mother-in-law. And I agree. As for the goings-on at the ball, it's fair to say that your imaginations have gone into overdrive, with speculations ranging from will Ed and Emma or Fallon and Harrison take over to the pub till it will be burned to the ground or even Valentine's yogurts, chocolates and aphrodisiacs. What a creative bunch we all are. Helen's extended holiday and its length and her visit to Saint-Germain have raised a few eyebrows. 
and a discussion about the length of school holidays, which from the number of somewhat intoxicated texts I received from my teacher friends in the UK, I believe began on Friday. Cares wisely pointed out that she may just be taking three weeks off to safeguard her own mental health. But honestly, Helen, please take as long as you like, really. Thanks to our Stephen, we learned that Will Grundy turned 41 this week. And before we next speak, both Tom Archer and I will have turned 43. And I challenge Stephen to find the date. Until next time, wherever you're listening, which is Chinese for Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ben, and thank you for so much to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. Do we have any reviews this week, Theo? None this week, I'm afraid. Okay, then we'll go on to Twitter, where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archer's hashtag using a capital T and A, so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archer's-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Wenlock House. And I can be found at PurplePumpkin63. But we're both spending a lot of time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky, where I am at purplepumpkin63.bsky.social. And I'm at wenlock.bsky.social. So let's find out who has won the medals this week. Tweet, tweet, pushcat. Or should that be XX these days? Hello, Stephen, this week's co-host and dumpty dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, this week Kate, Edna, and everyone else who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter and Blue Sky, alongside an awful lot of speculation about Harry and his mum, I've learned something fascinating about cats. Not only do they eat soup, Ian at Kernel 27 was wondering how Hilda would get on at Bridge Farm, but you can actually buy cat soup mix. Who knew? That's soup for cats, not with cats as an ingredient, if you're worried. By the way, Blue Sky has now got rid of the requirement for invitation codes, having passed 3 million users invited by others. So if the lack of an invite code has been stopping you from joining, don't let it hold you back anymore. There's plenty of chatter over there. So now it's time for the medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X-Posts, all of which we continue to consider as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's Brian Holding at Buggy Squires. Well done, Hilda, bringing down Bridge Farm from within. The silver medalist is Rosie Porty at rosieporty.bsky.social. Imagine Eve's reaction if Harry had been dating Helen. And the gold medal goes to regular medalist Audrianne at Ms underscore Touchshriek. Has anyone asked Hazel if she'd like to take Hilda? Seems like a good match to me. Nice thought, Audrianne. Well, that's it for this week. I hope to see you all on Hashtag The Archers on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you for that, Theo. It's almost like you're in the room with us. And congratulations to all who are mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget, we're on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, where Theo also looks after things. It's been a bit quiet on Instagram lately, so I do put a shout out if anyone else is more of an Insta user than I am to please let us know if you'd like to take it on. But next week, Jacqueline and Stephen will be back recording at the normal time, first thing Saturday morning. So please get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many valuable ways. 
And thanks to you lot too. The lovely Dum to Dum community is why we carry on doing this. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're now off to the traditional Chinese medicine shop in Felpsham to pick up some ingredients for our special Valentine's ice cream. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.